0: So just, that's why I was like, let's just talk about it, put it all out in the open. So people don't feel like they're somehow inadequate for being afraid. Even everybody who you think is fearless is not because they aren't afraid of anything. They just committed to not doing less because of their fear. They just made the decision to sit with the discomfort and do it anyway.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 40 of Be More Well. My guest today is author and blogger, Lovie Ajayi-Jones. I'm so excited for this one, she's incredible. We'll be talking a bit about being a professional troublemaker and what that means, and also imposter syndrome. But first, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast hosted by me, Jeff St. Pierre. Now, what do I know about wellness? The answer to that question is almost nothing. But that's exactly why I started this podcast. I wanted to talk to people from all across the wellness spectrum. Doctors, athletes, musicians, moms, dads, everybody who's got a story to tell about how they've found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Now, ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information and some inspiration that will help you be happier, be healthier, be less stressed, be more mindful. I just want you all to be more well. Have you ever heard the phrase imposter syndrome? I feel like it's becoming a little bit more common now, but it's still not a household phrase. I have seen it used a lot more, though, over the last year. Maybe that's because I've been learning a lot more about myself and mental health. But it basically describes a feeling when you don't think you belong. You don't think you deserve the title that you have. People who feel like they are imposters have all this self-doubt and feelings of inadequacy. And, and it's there even if they're doing great, even if they you know, seemingly have no reason to feel inadequate. So let's take a look at an example. A few years back, I was running a lot. For a three-year period, I was doing about 10 half marathons a year and traveling around the country to try and do one in each state. But if somebody called me a runner... I would shy away from that. I'd be like, no, no, no. I'm not winning races. I'm not sponsored. I'm certainly not going to the Olympics. Those people to me were runners. I'm just a dude getting exercise and torturing my body for a little bit. I didn't feel like I was adequate. I didn't feel like I was good enough to be called a runner, even though it honestly didn't matter how good I was. I was out there running. I honestly think imposter syndrome led to me falling out of running. Well, my, my health played a part in that as well, but my self-doubt led to a lot of anxiety around running. I never thought I was doing good enough, and I'd beat myself up about it. I would get anxiety just tying my shoes before going out for a run. I'd be like, oh, am I going to do a good job today? I don't know. I wonder sometimes if I just accepted it and said, yes, I'm a runner. Would I have fallen out of it? Would I still be pushing forward? Imposter syndrome affects more than something like, you know, my identifying as a runner. It's commonly found in the workplace. There are so many people that go into work each day questioning whether they belong. Do they deserve that raise? Do they deserve that promotion? Are they qualified enough? I know I've avoided applying for jobs in the past because I didn't think I was qualified enough for them. Then afterwards, I think, damn it, I really could have done that job. Great. Why didn't I do it? I know a lot of parents have this too, moms specifically. You know, it can play a part in postpartum depression. Many women struggle with the idea of being worthy or strong enough to be a mom. It's a tough thought to break, and it can have hugely negative impacts on a person's psyche. And if we're being honest with each other right now, I've been going through a little bit of imposter syndrome right now with this podcast. Sometimes I miss a week because I have this overwhelming feeling like I'm just not doing a good enough job or that I'm going to let people down. Even with this interview today, when I spoke with our guest, I left the conversation feeling like I did a terrible job. I was so mad at myself, like I wasted this opportunity to speak with an incredible person. And that was one of the reasons I didn't post it last week. But going back to listen and edit the conversation, I realized it actually came out pretty good. So I was beating myself up for nothing. Anyway, this week, we're talking with Lovey Ajayi-Jones. She is simply amazing. Her latest book is called Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. And in it, Lovey discusses her own battles with imposter syndrome. She almost didn't write her first book because she didn't think she was a writer. She turned down an opportunity to do a TED Talk multiple times because she thought, Who am I? Why are they asking me? Lovey's book helps motivate us to accept those fears and power through them. Don't let them get in your way. Now, before we jump into the conversation, just a couple of quick things. Be sure to follow Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now so you'll be notified of all the future episodes and updates. And when I say follow, I mean subscribe. That would be really helpful. Also, I would appreciate it if you could rate the show and leave a review. That kind of interaction really helps the podcast powers that be, know which shows are making an impact, and helps to suggest them to new listeners. It would be amazing if you could just take a couple of minutes and rate and review this show. Uh, Also, I'm on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast. Please feel free to send me a DM with any comments or questions or even guest or topic ideas. I love hearing from you on what you'd like to learn more about. And lastly, in this conversation, I I reference a story about how Lovey and I have a similar experience in life. She didn't go into explaining her particular experience, but it's essentially the same as mine. Only difference was that I was an astrophysics major in college and she wanted to be a doctor. You'll know what I'm talking about here in just a couple of minutes. Here's our conversation. Hello. How are you doing?
0: Doing well. Doing well. How are you?
1: I- I'm good, but I'm not on a whirlwind uh, press tour for the last two weeks of my life. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're making it.
1: We are making it. It is funny when they, uh, when the publisher, uh, your publisher sends out, you know, invites or, you know, the opportunities to speak with people. It's usually, you know, hey, they're available on this Wednesday from, I don't know, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Yours was like Wednesday and Thursday. Here's all the hours. I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on for Lovey.
0: There's a lot, yo. But look, making it happen.
1: I got to tell you, I- I'm such a fan. And I-, I don't think I realized how much I needed professional troublemaker in my life until I sat yeah. down and started reading it.
0: Yes. I love hearing that.
1: Uh before we dive into it though, I do need you to explain one thing to me and that is what a shady Nigerian is.
0: <laughs> a shady Nigerian is somebody who is Nigerian and gives a lot of everything side eye. Okay. You know, looking at it like, you know what? Do better.
1: <laughs> I love it. I'm reading it. and I'm like, all right, I, I need to know, because I feel like there's an inside joke here that I'm not a part of, and I need to know what this is all about. <laughs> I have to say, you, you and I, our lives sort of have a similar trajectory in at least one way, and that takes me back to my freshman year of college. Um, I wanted nothing more than to get into the astrophysics world. I was fascinated by astronomy and space, and that was going to be my major in college. But first semester, freshman year, I got my first and only D, and I'm not even exaggerating, in calculus. And I said, you know what? I I don't want to do this. Like, I'm fascinated by it, but this is not what I see the rest of my life looking like. And I jumped Yo. into my college radio station. And I was like, here we go. Broadcasting it is. Wow. I heard you tell your story. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, our, our lives have definitely had different trajectories. But like that one moment, I was like, I know that exact experience.
0: I Wow. Listen, D's be taking us out. <laughs> I, D's be just
1: dropping dreams. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to get D's growing up. I don't know about you, but like if I Safe. came home with less than a B, I was like, I was done for.
0: Same. That's why that D was, I was like, oh no, oh, oh no, this is not going to (laughs) work.
1: I looked at my grandfather and he was an engineer for his entire life, like working in the military and submarines and everything. And he was like, look, I never had to use calculus in my life. That's what my D was in was calculus. He's like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. (laughs) You'll be fine. Yes. So tell me about professional troublemaker. Explain to me what a professional troublemaker is.
0: A professional troublemaker is somebody who is committed to elevating the rooms that they're in, who is like, you know what, I'm going to have to tell the truth, even if it's tough. I'm going to have to say the thing that's tough. Right. And they make it a life habit. And even when it's scary, they realize it's necessary to do. So they're the people who are sitting in the meeting and tell everybody that I don't know if that campaign idea is as good or as thoughtful as we want it to be. They're the ones who are at the dinner table when your uncle makes a bad joke and they go, uncle, that's not appropriate. You know, they're the friends that you have that that go like, you hurt my feelings. We should have a tough conversation about this, about why. I think they're the people who make the world
1: better. They do the work. I try to be that in my work environment specifically. I always try to make sure people see the other side of things, just to make sure we're covering all the bases really. And Mm -hmm. I I find that not everybody is open to the idea of a professional troublemaker.
0: Yeah, I think people mostly silence professional troublemakers, not realizing that they're necessary. Mm -hmm. When you don't have them in your life, things fall apart because they look out for you and they'll actually, they're willing to tell you. And you know, whenever like a campaign happens like with a company that goes nuts and everybody's like, this is horrific. I'm always like somebody was in the room who wanted to speak of who didn't because they knew they'd be silenced, ignored or punished. So when you ignore the troublemakers in your life, you suffer for it. Cause who's watching out for you? Who's, who was picking out your blind spots and being like, Ooh, I was thinking about it. And, and, and I figured this thing is not going to go well. So let's rethink it. They saved your ass. And, and I think troublemakers are usually given a bad rap. It's not that the, they're not the person who's like, I just want to play devil's advocate. No, 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 that person's annoying. Like the devil did not say he needed a doula. Like a professional troublemaker is literally like, I'm going to say it because I mean it. I'm not just trying to play this random devil's advocate. It's because I see this not going well. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people who will see things not going well and say nothing. And after the fact, when it blows up, they go, Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to go well. And then you go, Why didn't you tell me? Yeah, I figure you want to hear it. The person who says, I know you probably don't want to hear this but I'm going to say it anyway. Here's what I think would happen. Saves you, because if you don't take their advice, you remember when it doesn't go well, you go, they did tell me. They did tell me. They were there. So that's why I think it's important for people to understand that this is not a bad thing to to ruffle feathers sometimes. Um, It's not something that you should shy away from because I want people around me to trust me. If I'm in the room, I want you to trust that. I am saying what needs to be said, that I'm, I'm saying what I believe, I am saying what feels right, and I am not gonna let you fall on my watch.
1: Yeah, like you said, professional troublemakers are not trying to be jerks. They're actually trying to help you see the things that maybe you don't see. I think about like relationships, how many times you've been in a relationship when it ends and your friends are like, yeah, I didn't think that was going to last. Like, well, where the hell were you six months ago? Where the hell
0: were you? Correct. (laughs) Why didn't you tell me? Oh, well, you know, I don't want to be liked or I don't want to make them mad. And okay, if you're mad at me for telling you what I see, that means I can't trust my truth with you. Mm. It probably means I won't be as close to you. Cause I'll say, well, they can't tell the truth. So I'll just be over here minding my business and i just let them fall. At which point, whenever you fall, a lot of people will look around and be like, yeah, nobody ever tells me the truth. It's your fault. Yeah. Cause you have basically proven yourself to be somebody who can't handle it, can't handle the truth, right? You hang up on somebody when they start trying to tell you about that thing, you go, I have to go now. So then the person goes, well, next time I just be
1: quiet. Mm -hmm. No, you're so right. Uh, There's a line in your book that goes, and I want to make sure I get this right. When we are afraid of having too much hope, we're actually afraid of being disappointed. Can you go into that a little bit more for me? Yeah. Sometimes
0: it's hard for us to like dream audaciously because we're like, if I if I think about wanting something, but what if it doesn't happen? Then I'd be disappointed and sad. Okay, you'd be all right. Ain't gonna kill you. I think um, it really does stop us from. Looking for something more hmm. that will be happy. It doesn't mean don't be content right now with your life. It means you are not wrong or greedy to
1: strive for more. I agree with it so much. Like, there are so many moments, like, that's why I said at the beginning of the book, uh, at the beginning of the interview, that your book came to me and I didn't realize how much I needed it at the time because mm. there are so many moments like that where I'm reading it and I'm thinking, yes, like I'm either in that position or I've just been in that position or I know that position. Yeah. And I've never, I haven't really seen it you know, I would to say vocalized because I'm reading a book, but I haven't seen it vocalized that way. You know what I mean?
0: I love that reflection because I wrote the book from a, a, a true place of like authenticity in that like, I feel like I wrote this book for myself, ultimately, that everybody else is getting to read. And I find that in the moments when I write something that I need, it lands with other people because if I need it, that means a whole bunch of other people need it too. And the things I say in this book are things that I say to myself to remind myself, even in the tough moments, to be like, still do that thing, still dream audaciously, still tell the truth, you know what I mean? Like fire yourself, own your dopeness. So to hear that, like, you're like, yeah, I need to hear it. I understand because I need to hear this. I wrote this book for the moments when I'm like, should I say yes to this opportunity that feels really big, right? Or I want to do this thing that feels wild. I don't even know how I'm going to do it. Maybe I shouldn't. So
1: it's also an instruction manual for, my, for myself. And that comes across and that's what makes it, I think, so powerful because there is so much authenticity in it. And it's not to knock anybody else who's written a book, but like you can tell when the people are writing, legitimately believe what they're writing. Mm -hmm. And when I'm reading your book, I can feel that you've gone through this. I can feel the emotions that you have with it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what really made it stand out so much more to me than maybe some other things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I always have to write. I
0: always have to write and tell myself the truth while I'm t- telling other people the truth. And that has been the story of my career. Like, I think my truth-telling has connected with people in a real way. Because um, people often say, like, I'm the person saying what they were thinking, but they dared not to say it for whatever reason. And continuing to do that has rewarded me. Continuing to be a troublemaker
1: in that way has been good. I want to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. There's a lot in your book here, yes. but imposter syndrome is mm-hmm. one of those things that I've been thinking about for a long time. And, and I've wanted to mm-hmm. talk to somebody about it. So when this book came across, I was like, oh, wow, this is the perfect person. Lovey is the perfect person to talk to you about imposter syndrome. So just really quick, can you just tell me what your definition of imposter syndrome is?
0: Yeah, imposter syndrome is when you feel like you're wearing a mask or that you don't belong in the room that you're in. And I think it's a, such a universal problem it is something that everybody goes through and it looks different depending on who you are. And it doesn't just end because your career goes higher or that you're leveling up. It just shifts. And we spend a lot of time not thinking we're good enough for whatever reason. We don't think we have the credentials. We don't think we have uh, the stamina. We don't think we have the experience. And we we let it convince us to say no to yes opportunities. And I used the the time when I almost said no to to, to Ted. No, I actually didn't almost say no. I said no to Ted twice when they asked me to do my Ted talk because a friend of mine did not let me say no. The third time they asked me, she literally was like, get off my phone and go write this talk. You're doing it. And I was like, okay. She loaned me courage in that moment when I was deep in my imposter syndrome where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm afraid of bombing. I don't know. And that talk now has 5.6 million views. So it really had me being like, how many times have we let imposter syndrome tell us no to something that's a yes opportunity? How often have we said, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for that thing. So then we don't ask for it. How often have we not asked for the promotion or the raise? And it's a big
1: thing. It's tough. I think about my, one of my own experiences with it. I feel like I've had multiple, but one of them that stands out is a few years ago, I was very active uh, with running, got into running. I was running, you know, 10 half marathons a year. And it was just, it was my thing. It was, I was passionate about it. But whenever somebody called me a runner, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not a runner. I'm not, I'm not going to the Olympics. I'm not competing. I'm just doing it for fun. And I actually look back on it and I'm like, I should have said yes. I should have owned that mm. because I actually think it, it worked to my detriment. And I think I fell out of it because I had a hard time identifying with what I was doing. Instead of owning it, I just questioned it all the time. And I feel like that, that's such a big um, problem with imposter syndrome as it is.
0: Absolutely. Because it, it has us spending so much time questioning our worth. We're wasting time, yeah. right? Instead of just being like, this is who I am. I'm just going to get better at it. Right. And I think for me, yeah, for a long time, I was afraid to call myself a writer because I was like, I don't know. Am I a writer? Am I a writer? Like, is that really what I am? Uh, Because I was afraid of the title and and everything that came with it. And what all it did was stop me from really honoring it for a long time. You know, so we spent so much time just doubting. And it's a waste. I I say it's a waste of time to spend that much time questioning everything that we do and ourselves.
1: It's so true uh, because you you spend that time worrying about what is, like we were just talking about before with that quote from your book, you spend so much time worrying about what's going to happen next that you don't live in the moment and don't own what you're already doing and doing well, probably. Correct. Correct. What you're already doing, the work that you're already putting in is necessary. Do that. Yeah. I mean, like, like you're writing, for example, I mean, you were writing blogs and you were so involved and to, to, to think about you having that question mark over your head about, am I a writer? It, it blows my mind in a way, because I've seen, you know, how far you've gone uh, with these two books now and your speaking tours and different things that you've done. It, it's fascinating to look back on it, but it also proves the point that this happens to so many different people, no matter where you are.
0: Everybody let's normalize that. It's, everybody is, is petrified in some way, right? And we might not look like we are, but we are. And it's just being honest. So just, that's why I was like, let's just talk about it, put it all out in the open. So people don't feel like they're somehow inadequate for being afraid. Like even everybody who you think is fearless is not because they aren't afraid of anything. They just committed to not doing less because of their fear. They just made the decision to sit with the discomfort and do it anyway,
1: that's true, and I like a, that's part of your book title, the Fear Fighter Manual. You're trying to help us fear make sure we manual. can get through all those walls. So, what are you afraid of right now in your life? What are you holding on to?
0: Mm, I have a bit of fear of success, in that I'm like success usually means now you need to expand your structure, mm. now you need to learn something new to be able to manage all the things that come. So, fear of success is real, but I think I'm again to to what I said in my in the book I've. I always commit to doing what I say first before I even tell anybody else to do it. So I'm always like, okay, I'm going to be challenged to grow and evolve and, you know, think larger than I am. Maybe have more people around me in terms of like on my team, but it's something that I have to give myself permission for.
1: Yeah. I mean, how much more can you do? I mean, <laughs> writing books, hosting podcasts, doing speaking engagements. I mean, there, there's a lot going on there. At some point you got to sit down and go, I need some me time.
0: That's it. That is it.
1: <laughs> well, Lovey, I-, I love this book so much. I know you've got a-, a crazy day ahead of you. I wish I could talk to you for so much longer, uh, but I, uh, I definitely appreciate the time that you've been able to share with me. Uh, the book is called Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. Where can people go if they want to find out more about you or this book?
0: Yeah, to find out more about this book, come, first of all, come on my book tour. My book tour, I have seven-city virtual book tour because pandemic. Um, and I'm in conversation with some really interesting people. I'm in conversation with Esther Perel, um, Gabrielle Union, Kalana Barfield-Brown, Miley Teal, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, Kev on stage. I just did my and Doyle one. So for people to find out more about this book and the tour, they can go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com. All the details are there. And they can stay connected with me on social. I am at Lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E, on all platforms, one word.
1: I love that you were able to secure that that one word. I'm so jealous of people that have the one word social media handle.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Look, I'm like, I know it's hard to get at Jeff. Right. But <laughs> at Lovey, not not that hard. But yeah.
1: I have the most boring white male name possible, Jeff. It's like Jeff and Matt. Yes.
0: Like <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs>
1: Well, Lovey, seriously, I really appreciate the time. This book is amazing. Great work. Congratulations on everything. And I I look forward to seeing what's next for you.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff.
1: Big thank you to Lovey Ajayi-Jones for her time today. She's really great. And so is this book, Professional Troublemaker. I highly suggest you pick it up. I love every page. I need to go and find her first book now, too, because I'm so curious about that one. Uh, Thank you to all of you as well for taking some time out of your day to check out the show. I know there's a lot going on in life. There's millions of podcasts, there's music, there's so many things to listen to. I can't tell you how much it means to me to know that you've taken some time out of your day listening to Be More Well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review if you have a chance. That would be great. Until next week, be well.